everyone and welcome back to down the line this is episode number 83 of down the line here on the morning of january 13th it is just about 10 o'clock here on uh, the west coast uh, that means at 1 p.m on the east coast i'm brevin hondo alongside kyle betts how are you doing kyle i'm doing great had a great week and ever since we recorded our last show a lot has been happening so excited mm-hmm. to get back down into it yeah, we got a lot to get into, but first we have a guest coming on our show. He is he covers the St. Louis Cardinals and its minor league system for the St. Louis Post Dispatch. We got one of our former colleagues from the Daily Aztec, who is also our fantasy football commissioner, the league that we've been talking about the entire year. We've got Daniel Guerrero on our show. Sure. How are you doing, Daniel? Doing good, Brevin, Kyle. Um happy to be here. I think it's like what my third appearance on down the yeah. line. Yeah, um, it's always fun to hop on and talk to you guys and catch up and just talk everything in sports. Um, but yeah, looking forward to our conversation today. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the Cardinals in a little bit. We're also going to talk about some fantasy football with Daniel in our league. But first up, Daniel, how has it been like um, since we last talked? It's been since August since we talked to you. Um, you know, what has it been like? Uh, how has it been over the last few months? What was that like the trade deadline that we yeah talked about maybe mm-hmm. but I mean yeah, yeah it's been cool I mean obviously the end of the season was um was an experience just because I you know covering uh the season as long as baseball it's a lot of games and a lot of storylines and yeah just a lot to keep up with um postseason was obviously another uh, pretty cool experience mm-hmm. Cardinals were eliminated you know uh, in two games after losing to the Phillies uh, in the wild card series. Um, and then, yeah, the offseason's been, um, as much as there's been a lot of spending across baseball, it's been kind of quiet on the Cardinal side just because um, they did make that big splash with signing Wilson Contreras, that five-year, uh, $87.5 million deal. But other than that, I mean, the Cardinals have kind of been quiet, which is um, interesting just to see how all these other National League teams are are spending and um, adding to their rosters this winter. Um, but yeah, just overall, I mean, things have been fine. I uh, got the chance to go home uh, to Anaheim for a little bit. Got the chance to, I actually saw both of you guys in person, which is pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. At different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a really, really good meal with Kyle at a Tacos Los Cholos in Anaheim. So good. Highly recommend it. Um, back in St. Louis now, getting ready for uh, winter warm up, which is like a fan fest here uh, in St. Louis. It's a three day event. Um, and just getting ready for spring training in the season ahead. Um, yeah, we, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just about a month away from pitchers and catchers meeting uh, for spring training. All right, let's get into the Fast Five. We're going to get to MLB in a little bit after the Fast Five, but kick it off with number one. We had the national championship for the college football playoff on Monday. The Georgia Bulldogs, they defeated the TCU Horned Frogs in what was supposed to be a close game. TCU lost 65-7 to at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Yeah, I picked TCU last week, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mattress Mac also picked TCU. He yeah. put $3.1 million on the Horn Frogs, and yeah, it didn't really work out uh, that well, to say the least. But, I mean, he, he still got those uh, Astros winnings, you know, on his belt. So he's all good. I mean, 3.1 million is probably not that much to him, but yeah, I was surprised because 
not just because of, you know, the loss itself, but it was the biggest blowout, not only in national championship history, but bowl game history too. So mm-hmm. that was definitely a big deal. DG, did you catch any of this game or just kind of follow it? Uh, I caught part of it. I kind of forgot that yeah. the game was on. I'm not you yeah. know, a huge college football fan. Yeah. Um, but I tuned in um, and saw that it, I think I tuned in when it was like, I want to say it was like 14 to seven or 14 to yeah. It was it was a, it was a normal game, right? Um, and then man, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, just, uh, Georgia just outclassed, outplayed um, TCU in literally every aspect of the game, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. um, like you said, it's a national championship game. TCU was there for a reason. Um, I know people, especially like the next day or even before the game, you know, uh, were a little hesitant on, uh, I guess. Crowning, you know, the the Big 12 champion as, like, a legit contender. Um, yeah. Obviously, it sucks for that conference. It sucks for TCU, obviously, because of that huge loss. Um, but, you know, Georgia, back-to-back titles. Um, Stinson <laughs> Bennett coming back as a super-duper senior. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but, I mean, it, it's, it was crazy to see. I mean, but you, I mean, you always want a championship game to be close. You never want to see a blowout, so yeah, yeah, a little boring on that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sensen Bennett, he completed 18 of 25 of his passes for 304 yards. He threw four touchdowns. He also ran the ball three times for 39 yards and scored two more times to give him six total touchdowns on the night to complete the Bulldogs' is perfect 15 and 0 record. All right, let's get to number two on the list. We continue with a championship mentality where we go to. Some skiing now, where on Sunday, Michaela Schriffen tied Lindsey Vaughn with her 82nd World Cup skiing victory in Slovenia. These are pretty much two names where, I mean, they, they own the world of skiing and, you know, the, the, the entire sport. I mean, it seems like they have always kind of took it over. And here you see Michaela Schriffen get on that same level as Vaughn. And it's great. I think this is great for the sport. I mean, obviously not too popular unless you're watching the Olympics here in America, but if you do, you know these two names and they are pretty much mm-hmm. synonymous with the entire sport. And so for her to get uh, her 82nd victory, I mean, it's big time. And it, it just goes to show that I think, you know, the United States is always going to have that one really fantastic female skier that is able to yep. dominate the sport as we've seen in recent years. Yeah, and this was even with a bad Winter Olympic show by Michaela Schiffen as well. That's true. Mm-hmm. All right, we move from uh, some skiing to uh, the flat ground of the gridiron where Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, who has spent his entire Nine-year NFL career with the franchise posted a farewell letter to the team and its fan base on Twitter. This was yesterday. I kind of figured this would happen just because they're giving Josh McDaniels an egregious amount of money that Hmm. Derek Carr is just kind of, you know, he's just kind of there. He doesn't really fit the system. But I didn't really see it ending so abruptly. What do you think, DG? Um, I think I agree with you on the abruptness to this end of the Derek Carr era. Um, yeah. The man, it's it, it's the I feel like the Derek Carr 
era in Oakland slash Vegas was very like tumultuous, not tumultuous, but it was like a roller coaster, right? Mm -hmm. Where he comes in his rookie year in 2014. Um, they started off the year that season. I want to say like zero and ten, or it, it was it was a very bad start. But there were flashes that Derek Carr could be that guy. I mean, he was a second round yeah. pick at a Fresno State. It was as we all know. Um, and then things come together in 2016, right? Where the Raiders, uh, I think they went 10 and six, maybe to, uh, that season. We're on the brink mm -hmm. of winning the division. Uh, Derek Carr, you know, Michael Crabtree and uh, Amari Cooper, you know, that trio was yeah. extremely effective. I remember, I mean, uh, Kyle, you probably remember this as a Broncos fan. I remember it as, you know, being a Chargers fan back then. Of The Raiders were like a legit team. I mean, they're a team who went from being the laughing stock to being. Um, you know, maybe not that Super Bowl contender at that year, but yeah. was on that trajectory. And <laughs> Derek Carr obviously breaks his leg. Uh, what was it week 15 against the Colts on like Christmas Eve? Yeah. And then things yeah. were really the same. I mean, even <laughs> last year where they made the playoffs uh, under Rich Basilia, who took over, you know, after, after uh, John Gruden was fired. Um, some of the weapons changed around Derek Carr. I mean, last year he yeah. didn't really have a whole lot. Uh, mm -hmm. obviously he gets Devontae Adams and they're in what is, you know, said to be the toughest to, well, picked in the preseason as the toughest division in football. Yes. Um, and just came out flat. I mean, just did not look good. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is, it's a, it is a very abrupt ending to Derek Carr's tenure as a Raider starting quarterback. Obviously people had high hopes for him. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and, and I think, no matter what, there will always be that, you know, uh, I guess want to see more that just never came to fruition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the first part of Derek Carr's four paragraph letter, he said, Raider Nation, it breaks my heart. I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. We certainly yeah. have been on a roller coaster in our nine years together from the bottom of my heart. I am so grateful and appreciative of the years of support you gave to my family and me. We had our share of both heartbreaking moments and thrilling game-winning drives, and it always felt like you were there next to me. Hmm. End quote. Yeah, that's that, that's tough for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, when you think about the way the Raiders schedule ended, the way it set up for four home games in the final six weeks, I think it was, you would have thought that Derek Carr would at least had something to leave with, some sort of standing ovation as well. Oh yeah. I don't yeah know whether it was even if it was just for just one play or something like that. Yeah, because it's weird. Because like I know, and I joke about this uh, with you know, our friend Luis Lopez, who's a diehard Raiders fan, <laughs> on-air uh, sports anchor, um, weather anchor for uh, KYMA and Yuma, and um, like we joke about how like the Derek Carr haters would come out in full force when Derek Carr had a bad game, but there are always Derek Carr supporters, Derek Carr truthers who yeah. um, always believed, um, obviously the organization felt like he would one day become, you know, that, that, you know, maybe, uh, maybe not MVP caliber quarterback, but that all, you know, that, that pro consistent pro bowl, all pro type guy mm -hmm. who, was going to, you know, provide stability at a position that the Raiders really haven't had since, what, Rich Gannon was there in the early yeah. 2000s? Yeah, pretty much. And, mm -hmm. uh, 
It, it is a weird way to see that end. I guess if if it, if anything, it kind of reminds me of, I guess, the Albert Pujols ending in Anaheim, where there's so much hype when he comes into the organization. Um, and then it just one day to the next, it's like, okay, well, he's, they move on. They've moved on from him. Um, now it's time to kind of fill that void of, you know, who's going to fill that spot that, that he yeah. was behind. So true. Mm-hmm. Derek Carr was a uh, three-time Pro Bowler, all within the years of 2015, 2016, and 2017. Mm. 2016 was also the year he was third in the MVP voting and sixth in AP Offensive Player of the Year voting. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to number four. We go on to baseball here. All 30 AAA ballparks will be using robot umpires in 2023. That was reported by Buster Only of ESPN. The automatic balls and strike system will be deployed with half of the league's half of the league's calls determined by an electronic strike zone, and the other half played with a challenge system similar to that used in a professional tennis. Each team will have three challenges. Yeah, DG, what do you think about this? I mean, even Covering some minor leagues and how does this kind of shift the kind of sphere of how everything operates there? Um, well, I guess first off, um, on the catching side, I mean, framing uh, becomes an irrelevant skill at this point. Yeah. Um, there are guys who are known for, for that. Um, guys across baseball who, in, in a way, steal ball or steal strikes um behind the plate and now that tool um that craft just kind of is going to go by the wayside from the looks of it um as far as i mean being a hitter it's it's funny because i think uh this is something that probably hitters might be a little bit more adaptive to just because Mm -hmm. of um some who are very very confident in knowing the strike zone and understanding it i mean we see that a lot um, especially already at the big league level with I mean, a lot of guys you see, um, you know, guys like Joey Votto and Juan Soto and Mike Trout, uh, guys who know exactly where that strike zone is. And in, in a way, it's like when they disagree with the umpire, most likely means that they were kind of right. I mean, because yeah. you look back yeah. at the pitch tracks, you look um, across their careers and as guys who um, typically draw walks, typically who work counts. I mean, um, they know the strike zone. They know where it starts and where it ends. Um, down in the minors, I think it'll be an interesting experiment, just because uh, obviously those. If that's something that's eventually going to make its way to the majors, you're going to have guys who are already accustomed to it. Just like we're mm-hmm. going to see this year with the pitch clock, or we're going to see with um, the pickoff rules. Um, oh yeah. So I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's crazy to to think how baseball is changing. Um. I know it's something that baseball purists were, will uh, be afraid of or be hesitant to embrace, but it's in in a honest way, it's kind of where the game is trending. Um, mm-hmm. We did see a little bit of the like robot ump automatic or yeah automated ball strike system in use during the Arizona Fall League, which was an interesting thing, just because um, you could see. I mean, you, there were challenges actually. Uh, Pedro Pajes, who's a Cardinals prospect. Um, was I guess one of the first players in the fall league, or I think he was he made fall league history by overturning <laughs> uh, a called ball and got it to turn into a strike. So 
So I remember seeing the clip of that and same thing, you know, catches the umpire, sends the ball, waves up to challenge it and obviously gets the call overturned. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. I think it might add a little bit of suspense in stadiums. Um, like you said, that tennis kind of system of reviewing the play, if we are able to see that, you know, on the big board, <laughs> of, of, That'd be funny. Uh, of obviously not like in real speed, but kind of like a slowed down version of where it did or didn't hit the strike zone. Um, I think that'll be something kind of fun uh, for fans and that entertainment aspect. Yeah, for uh, sure. As far as pace of play, I mean, it might slow down the game a little bit. I mean, obviously uh, they're going to be working on challenges and how um, that's going to go about and the speed of it. I, from what happened in the fall league, it didn't seem like it was that much of a uh, of a impediment to how the game is played and, and the pace of it. But um, I think it's going to be it's going to be a weird embrace. It's going to be a weird challenge. But I think it's going to be something that, um, you know, it might. I don't know if it'll be here to stay. I don't know if it'll make its way up to the majors. I mean, obviously, MLB is going to be testing out a bunch of different. There has tested out a bunch of different things in the minors, and we'll be testing this out now. Uh, but I mean, if it ever gets to the majors, I think it'll it'll be a huge adjustment for a lot of guys and oh yeah, in the game and also fans as well. Yeah. It would be interesting to see how well this ABS or the balls and strike system gets implemented within MLB. We'll see how it does this year in AAA. But let's go to number five. Chicago White Sox closer Liam Hendricks announced on Sunday evening that he is beginning treatment on Monday for non-Hodgins lymphoma. Yeah, this is something, you know, I'm not too familiar with in terms of you know, how, how long it'll take for him to, to heal up and possibly be able to pitch, you know, in the, in the recent future. But, yeah, definitely hoping for the best for him. I mean, this is mm-hmm. for sure a big deal and something that you would never expect. So um, best wishes to him for sure. Yeah, DG, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, we're all supporting Liam in, in, in what he was diagnosed with and the treatment mm-hmm. he's going to be getting. Um, hopefully, we're able to see him back on the field one day. He's, he's one of those guys where you think about – um players in the game who kind of not just have a passion for the game but also um you know have some character and kind of um you know off the field especially which is kind of how they um how they view things that you support i mean i know he was one of the guys who spoke up um with uh with the white Sox and uh or just across baseball and kind of the lack of like pride nights during june like the month of june mm-hmm somebody else who also just kind of spoken up for different things like that. And he's, he's somebody who on the field is easy to root for. And as a person is even uh, easier to root for that you, you support. Um, so, I mean, obviously we're all hoping for the best with him and hoping we can see him back out on the mound um, soon. I think the one comparison that'll probably give a lot of advice to Liam Hendricks might be Trey Mancini. Obviously we know that what he went through, um, two seasons ago in 2021 uh, just his road back from I can't remember what type of cancer it was but it was something similar but then you see him come out goes out in the home run derby like you talked about um that year and you know just continues to provide that inspiration that influence that you can come back so I feel like Trey Mancini has that and can be that influence um, as Liam Hendricks goes through this process. 
All right, let's continue talking some baseball now, some free agents and transactions. The Los Angeles Dodgers announced on a Friday, this was hours after we recorded our episode last week, that they have designated right-handed pitcher Trevor Bauer for assignment. So that means teams had the opportunity to uh, trade for Trevor Bauer. Um, that did not happen. So with that, Trevor Bauer is a free agent and has the opportunity to sign with any team for a league minimum. And the Dodgers will pay the um, will pay that team that signs Bauer for twenty two point five million dollars. Yeah, DG, do you think a team goes ahead and will pick him up ultimately just because of this, or do you think it's too much of a risk? I, I guess for any team to kind of go out and, and seek his services. Man, it's um, it's going to be a very complicated situation with him. Yeah. I honestly don't think many teams will will jump at the opportunity to sign him because of that baggage mm-hmm. because of um not just uh what transpired um back in you know uh what was it June 2021 during the Dodgers um and the uh suspension he was dealt and um you know the allegations of uh sexual abuse and domestic violence that that he that gave him the longest suspension um, as a part of that, that domestic violence, uh, sexual assault program or yeah. anti-program that, that the league has. Uh, and it's not, I mean, it's not just that because I mean, even when he signed to the Dodgers, there was a lot of skepticism with just kind of who he was as a person, his interactions online with women, um, and just his views. Obviously his character was another one. We've saw, you know, some out, maybe not outbursts, but, um, some instances. I remember there was a game. Uh, Cleveland against Kansas City in Kansas City, where Terry Francona pulls pulled uh, Bauer out of the game, and Bauer just threw the ball straight over center field wall in frustration. Yeah. Um, during Trevor Bauer's rookie year, he shook off a sign from Miguel Montero, which caused some uh, when he was with the Diamondbacks, which caused some friction between them. You know, rookie shaking off this guy who's been in the league for a few years. Um, so I mean, and it's not yeah. So it's not just uh, obviously what happened recently. But there's a lot more baggage of Trevor Bauer um, that that will big I think will make teams hesitant to sign him. Um, right. Obviously, I mean he's somebody who, when he was on the field, was uh, you know an all-star caliber Cy Young pitcher. But um, I guess that's where it brings in the question of you know kind of where are your morals at as as an organization. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the easiest thing to relate it to um, and. Recent history is the Deshaun Watson trade to Cleveland. I mean, where you look at um, the uh, the allegations he was facing, um, you know, with over twenty five women um, that were you know accusing him of same thing as sexual assault, and the Browns go out and trade for him, and something that obviously the organization their organization was comfortable with dealing with. Um, in baseball, mm-hmm. I don't see teams jumping at the opportunity to sign him. Um, I, I think also you got to factor in what he's, what that does to your clubhouse. Um, because obviously, you know, you're with these guys. I mean, that clubhouse is together for basically an entire year. I mean, right. you think about it, guys are going to report to spring training in a month and they're all together until the end of September. And if you're a team that's good enough to make that run until the end of October, um, so obviously there are a lot of different factors, um, with, with kind of 
who he is and mm-hmm. obviously what he's dealt with in the past, his history. Um, but I, I just don't really see a team jumping at the opportunity, like I said, to, right. to bring him into mm-hmm. the, the roster. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if anyone decides to sign him. Uh, we had another move go down. It was a trade. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, they acquired right-handed pitcher Gregory Soto and infielder Cody Clemens from Detroit for outfielder Matt Veerling, utility man Nick Maton, and catcher Johnny Sands at Phillies, number 21 prospect. Yeah, DG, what do you think about this deal here? you think the Phillies get better here? Uh, I mean, they keep adding to their bullpen. Um, yeah. They already mm-hmm. had, you know, Jose Alvarado, who was a hard thrower in there. Uh, we mm-hmm. saw him in the playoffs come in. In, in high leverage situations and um, really look effective. Um, now they had Gregory Soto, who in the past, you know, has been an all-star, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I think he had a little bit of troubles last year with his command, but he's somebody who has that that pedigree of being a uh, top reliever in the league. Then uh, they just keep adding. I mean, the Phillies, it's, it's almost like they, I mean, they spent big last offseason, right? I mean, they added Kyle Schwarber, they added Nick Castellanos. Um, and they go into this, they get to the World Series, and they go into this offseason really two games away from winning it all. Yeah. Um, and only get better, I mean, on, at least on paper. I mean, they give out that mm-hmm. massive contract to Trey Turner. Um, they make this trade. And, I mean, you just look at what they've done. And to go from being, you know, that third team in line in the NL East to being kind of that team – who then at least might have to run through now at this point, or maybe, um, you know, it's kind of looked at, you know, one of the favorites in that division, which is already a tough division given, oh, yeah. um, you know, what the Braves have done to build that, that core and what the Mets have done to, to buy in, in a way buy that core of, of mm-hmm. star players. Um, but yeah, the, the Phillies just keep adding. And um, it, I think it really speaks volumes to the way baseball is trending. I know we joke about or have talked about in the past of uh, in uh, in, ba- in basketball and the NBA where a couple guys team up, a couple superstars get there, and they start forming a super team. Um, yeah. We saw that with the Rams last year where they make this trade to get Von Miller. They sign Odell Beckham Jr. And in a way create this other super team in the NFL. And now we're seeing teams in baseball uh, – in a couple of different ways, create these powerhouses where some teams, you know, have drafted and developed or have traded for stars and other teams are signing guys like we, you know, have seen in, in baseball's history, with, especially with like teams in big markets like the Yankees. Um, the Philly, like I said, the Phillies just keep adding and the National League just keeps getting tougher and tougher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it continues to, competition continues to rise um, as we seen this past off season um another off season deal has another off season saga has supposedly come to an end uh carlos Treu, who had reportedly signed with the giants who had also reportedly signed with the mets has ultimately signed a six-year deal worth 200 million dollars to return to minnesota where he played last season with the twins dg how, how weird is this to kind of see this unfold i mean it's (laughs) so it's just extremely weird i think it's probably one of the funkiest weirdest strangest off-season storylines that we've had to follow yeah um in a in a a few years really um 
just because obviously they make that announcement that he's agreed to a deal. And that I guess that that's something that I guess it reminds, I guess, fans that there's a difference between, you know, agrees to a deal and, yeah. you know, is officially signed. Because, yeah. you know, I had family mm-hmm. and friends who thought this whole time that he was a giant still. Um, <laughs> Luis Lopez. Man, he was just... <laughs> Aaron Tolentino. Aaron, 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 Aaron oh was somebody who was he. Aaron Tolentino. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I mean, obviously he signed or agrees to that deal with the Giants. Uh, you know that issue pops up with this in the physical with his ankle and uh, kind of the not the it's not really the from my understanding and what I've what I've read it's not really the the short term uh, status of that, but really the long term uh, kind of con- uh, concern of how that's going to hold up over you know the course of a thirteen year deal. Yeah. Um, then Scott Boris gets on the phone with Steve, you know, super billionaire owner Steve Cohen of the Mets. And Steve Cohen, as he's shown to do since he's taken over, splurges and gets Carlos Correa. Right. And then the talks just <laughs> well, they they agreed, right? To the was a 12-year, I think 305 or over yeah. 300 million dollar deal. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks while well, Carlos Correa is gonna be a Met, he's gonna play third base for the rest of his career. You know, next to uh, his countrymate uh, Francisco Lindor, uh, the Mets are this super already already this powerhouse, and now they add this other All Star, platinum gold, uh, platinum glove type player, and then nothing really happens. I mean, no press conference, no official signing, no news on that end, and it turns out same thing. The Mets are concerned with with what popped up in the physical. Um, and I know there was a a story in the Athletic. Uh, about Carlos Correa's return to the to the Twins and how Byron Buxton played a role in that, but I mean, seeing him go back to the Twins obviously puts the Twins back into that conversation of being um, obviously this the strong team to contend for that the AL Central um, pairs him up with Byron Buxton, who also went healthy. Byron Buxton is one of the most explosive, one of the most you know effective and consistent players in the league. Um. But man, I mean, it, it, it in a way it feels good to see this end, just because it's like, okay, so now we know where he's going to be playing. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it was uh, it was a crazy <laughs> thing to follow. Um, and yeah, I mean, and that that's, I, I think the crazier part was that Steve Cohen commented on it before the deal was done, just because typically teams don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, he or from the look, I mean, he probably assumed. He, you know, had confidence that things are going to go right, and then obviously there was concerns on on the medicals that came back, but you know that you never know. I guess what can happen in free agency, and this is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty up and down to see the whirlwind road of Carlos Gray's a free agency here. Mm-hmm. You know, as we thought about Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts, um. As well as um, that other yeah, the, Trey to Turner. Make it yeah, Trey Turner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a yeah. strong short. I mean, and we thought it's crazy because we thought last year that was the top. Yeah, last year. the shortstop mm-hmm. class. Uh, with I mean, Carlos Correa was also on the market, but then he also mm-hmm. had you know somebody like Trevor Story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you see this shortstop class, and it's like wow. I mean, there were four All Star shortstops. Mm-hmm. Um, they all, you know, finally found homes, and it seems like they'll be yeah. there for the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but crazy. Mm-hmm. 
We brought this up in uh, the beginning of our show. Gigi talked a little bit into it, but we think about um, what's happened during the Cardinals offseason. We think about uh, Paul Goldschmidt being the MVP. We think about, as you mentioned, the uh, Wilson Contreras contract, um, five years, 87 and a half. Gigi, what are your thoughts to this Cardinals offseason so far? Um, you know, I just don't know if they, I mean, I, I feel like they're, they're a team that still has, they have a basic, okay, let me try to start over again. Um, they have a lot of the same, uh, resources and assets from last year. They have mm-hmm. a lot of the same guys, obviously coming back. Nolan Arenado opted in mm-hmm. or did not choose to opt out uh, of his deal. Will remain a Cardinal, um, essentially for the rest of his career. He's talked to, um, our card lead Cardinals writer. Um, Derek Gould in St. Louis Post-Dispatch about wanting to, you know, retire a Cardinal and be a Cardinal for life. Um, and obviously with that, by opting into that deal, um, he essentially could um, from the looks of it. I think keeps him under contract for another five years. So, Ooh, yeah, you know, they're still set at third base. Paul Goldschmidt, who is actually approaching the end of his contract in the next couple of years, uh, wins the MVP um, really builds, obviously, is a great reward for him, builds his case um, for eventually getting into the Hall of Fame. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, the Cardinals have the two, these two superstars, obviously, Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina retire. Adam Wainwright re-signs for another year, which he has said is going to be his last year in the majors. Um, and outside of that, the Cardinals really return a lot of the same faces from last year. Um, they add Wilson Contreras, which obviously addresses a huge hole behind the plate. Um, you know, Yadier Molina held down the catcher position in St. Louis for 19 years. Wilson Contreras, you know, wants to to be the guy to follow that up. Not, and as he said, he's not trying to be Yadi, but he wants to to be the next in line to him um, mm-hmm. because of the respect he has for for Molina. And Outside of that, I mean, the Cardinals really haven't done a whole lot. I mean, on, on the pitching side, they're returning a lot of the same stars in the rotation from last year. Um, there's still some question marks as to the health and uh, – or not the health, but how healthy some guys can stay. Um, we saw last year Jack Flaherty was out for most of the year. Same thing with Steven Matz, who was their big free agent signing um, in, 20, in the 20 – or prior to the 2022 season. And – um so there's some obviously a little bit of concern there only when you stack them up, I guess, against um, some of the other rotations in the National League. Um, you look at just the position players. Um, the Cardinals are really banking on a lot of in-house guys to to take that next step. Uh, Lars Newport is one of them, an outfield who yeah. the Cardinals feel like the, is, is going to flourish. He's somebody who um, could be the leadoff hitter come opening day, might be the starting center fielder. It, it could be either between be between him or Dylan Carlson. Um, obviously, the Cardinals are also banking on Tyler O'Neill to have a healthy 2022 or 2023. Yeah. Um, he was limited a lot by injuries, uh, a lot of inconsistencies. So, I mean, they're, the Cardinals are, are coming into the year with, like I said, a lot of the same. Um, I think they'll, I, I think they have a really good shot at winning that all central. Um, but you know, when it comes to the whole, uh, philosophy of, of the playoffs, um, you know, it, you get to question is if, is, is if what they've done showing that they're satisfied with just getting in and seeing kind of yeah. the, the nature of the playoffs and where it takes them, or if they're 
contending for a World Series. I know, obviously, the players, coaching staff is trying to contend for World Series. Um, you know, that that's their expectation every year. Um, but when you look at some of the moves that the front office has made, it kind of leaves you wanting a little bit more, especially when you compare it to what their NL counterparts have done. I mean, like I, we mentioned before, when you see what the Mets have spent, what the Braves mm-hmm. have built, uh, what the Phillies are trying to build off of, um, it kind of it kind of puts the Cardinals in in kind of a a, a backseat of of being that favorite of being that that top dog in the National League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another team trying to get into that top dog is the Padres. Um, so we're gonna get to the Padres right now. A couple of things there on Thursday night, the Padres announced that the franchise's all-time home runs leader Nate Colbert he passed away at the age of. 76 he was part of the Padres inaugural team in 1969 went on to hit 163 home runs during his time with the Padres um so it's fortunate to see him pass away um this past week being part of that original team back in 1969 uh on Friday reports came out that shortstop Fernando Tatis, shortstop, outfielder, whatever position you want to call him, Fernando Tatis Jr. has been cleared uh, by medical personnel to resume baseball activities. Yeah, I think it's great to see him, you know, in a position to where he's at full health again, just because, you know, even throughout his suspension and, you know, even before that, we weren't able to see him play all of last season. And, it seems like injuries have kind of had an effect on his career to this point. So to see him back at full health and what he, he suspended the first 20 games of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think those games are, are going to fly by and he's mm-hmm. going to get back out there and he's going to go out there and he's going to prove why he is still one of the most electric young players in the game. And he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think for, these next few years, obviously, I mean, we, we know the talent that he possesses, and I think it's just great to see him kind of back at full strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'll be a big positive, not just for the Padres, but for baseball as a whole. Um, for Tatis to be healthy and also kind of, uh, in a way, clear up um, some image things. I mean, I know there was mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, I guess, some people, some fans kind of soured on, on Tatis and kind of uh, with what happened last year in the positive PED result. Um, now he, in the, in the very early stages of his career, has this opportunity to show everyone that he is, you know, a legit player, legit all-star MVP caliber player um, and can do it on his own. Um, so what, I mean, what when the Padres get him back, um, I, I, I'm obviously interested to see how he plays, how he responds to, having sat out to obviously how fans not just Padre fans but visiting fans are going to receive him and how they'll um you know how how he'll respond to that but also um where he'll be playing I mean it's it's kind of an interesting question just because you know the Padres have seemingly made it clear that Xander Bogarts is their starting shortstop I mean you signed yeah. him to, to an 11 year 280 million dollar deal um introductory presser I mean he's Labeled as you know, their starting shortstop, um, Tatis. We saw we saw play in the outfield in 2021. <laughs> I mean, obviously his athleticism, his arm, um, his savvy, and just uh, just kind of a na- like the nature that he plays the game should translate to anywhere in the field. Um, yeah. 
I mean, if he ends up moving over to the outfield, right field seems likely just because uh, his, you know, kind of the, his tools, I mean, his throwing arm kind of benefits him there. I don't, I mean, I, I personally would not put him in center just because I don't understand how you would move a, a gold glover in center away from his position. Yeah. But obviously that that's also a benefit to the Padres just because Juan Soto could move over to left field, kind of benefits them defensively for to have Tatis out there. Um, and then obviously you have those other guys in the infield that can play second. Um, I guess that question of of uh, where he plays, I mean, we'll I guess we'll, we'll see more of that probably during spring training of of how they mix in their different looks uh, when it comes to their lineup. Mm-hmm. Speaking of contract news, are coming out within the last five minutes that Juan Soto and the Padres are in agreement on a one year, twenty three million dollar deal to avoid arbitration. Hmm. Um, so as we're talking about Juan Soto, <laughs> hmm, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, other news surrounding the Padres on Friday last week, the team announced free agent signings of right-handed pitcher Brent Honeywell and outfielder Adam Engel on one-year contract. So establishing the depth within probably the rotation for Brent Honeywell, as well as the outfield depth with Adam Engel could easily be that left fielder while. Fernando Tatis Jr. is suspended for those 20 games. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think depth is the right word for it. Uh, Revan, do you kind of expect Ingle, you know, when Tatis comes back, he's going to be one of those bench guys who fills in, you know, night in and night out where, when he needs to? He easily could. I think, I don't think he has, but it depends on if Matt Carpenter can providing outfield glove in addition to his bat at the designated position. I think that's what it'll come down to Yeah. Uh, with Adam Angle. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, one more move that came um, still hasn't been official by the team, but reports came out that the Padres have signed Nelson Cruz to a one-year, $1 million deal. He wasn't, you know, he signs anything less, it's the league minimum. I mean, which is only 300000 less. So, Padres have signed and got some more leadership to their clubhouse. Um, on top of reports came out that they signed Craig Stamen to a minor league deal as well. Yeah, potential DH. I, I love Nelson Cruz. DG, mm-hmm. you know, growing up Angels fans, we know how many times he oh, just them. absolutely torched the Angels pitching staff, you know, rotation, bullpen, you name it. doesn't matter. He has an incredible bat. And I, I think even, you know, being a little older now, he's still got it in him. And he can definitely provide, I think, when he needs to at DH for this Padres team. DJ, uh, DG, what do you, what do you think uh, about this pickup here? I mean, he, he's older, but is he kind of in it for the championship round? Or what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think obviously he's seeking out a. I mean, he's going to a contending team, so I'm pretty sure yeah. that plays a part in it. And we'll probably know more once he uh, the deal's official, and obviously he speaks to reporters about the decision. Um, but I think it's I think it's a positive move for the Padres um, in a couple aspects. Obviously, uh, Matt Carpenter looks like he'll fill that DH spot um, for yeah. the majority of games. He kind of revitalized his career um, last year with the Yankees and showed that you know he has that capabilities to be that that middle of the order presence he was in St. Louis mm-hmm. um, during, you know, kind of his, uh, during uh, during his time here um, with the Cardinals. 
Uh, obviously, he's still fondly remembered here. Obviously, the fans still love him. Um, so to see him bounce back is is obviously a great step for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you and when you look at um, the Padres' makeup and their roster, I think Nelson Cruz fits a little bit more, um, adds a little bit more um, than just his abilities on the field. Um, obviously, he uh, is a veteran player. You know, uh, I think eight, this would be his 18th season, if I'm not mistaken, in the majors. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who's been an All Star, somebody who's been in the World Series, um, has made has made a crucial mistake in the World Series and knows what it takes to to play in those big moments. Um, but not only that, but when you look at the Padres' core players, um, when um, in relation to, to Soto, Machado, Tatis, I mean, those are three Dominican stars of the league. Yeah. And you have Nelson Cruz, who is also this veteran player, has uh, represented the Dominican Republic in the World Baseball Classic, I think is the player GM for the World Classic team this year. Oh, really? <laughs> um, and obviously, he has a, he's had a big influence on a lot of younger players, a lot of Spanish, uh, Spanish-speaking players and Dominican players. So when you come in to the situation where I know I talked about this a little bit ago of, you know, how Tatis kind of bounces back from uh, what's been kind of a tumultuous couple of years or year with the injury and then the P, the positive PED test, um, you have this guy who can provide a lot of balance, who can provide a lot of guidance and um, stability in the clubhouse, not just for Tatis or the, the Dominican guys in that on that team, but just for the entire clubhouse as a whole. Yeah. Um, Nelson Cruz is a uh, I think a Muhammad Ali humanitarian award winner. Um, who received it at the ESPYS. Uh, mm. Somebody who on and off the field has uh, just been kind of an example for for younger guys to follow. And when you add him to this team that's looking to uh, kind of get they got over that hump of beating the Dodgers, but to kind of gets that next level of getting to that world series and winning that world series that San Diego has awaited for so long. Um, I, I think he's one of those guys who, like I said, off the field on the bench in the clubhouse, uh, not just with what he does with the bat, but it's going to impact that team and, and how, how things are being handled uh, internally, how uh, kind of the clubhouse flows. Uh, I think he'll, he's somebody who guys will, will respect and listen to and seek guidance from. So, I mean, I think it's a positive move for them in, in, in a few different aspects. Yeah, it sounds like to be a projected move that'll help the entire clubhouse. I want to see how. I think for me, in addition to Fernando, I think yeah, just thinking about it, the other younger guys within mm-hmm. that roster, possibly, you know, we think about possibly Jose Azucar, for example. We think about if Ryan Weathers makes the move up to the big leagues this year. Um, you know, those two young guys, um, they could definitely be influenced by Nelson Cruz for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, in addition to Tatis. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk NFL the entire second half of our show. We're going to talk DeMar Hamlin. We're going to get the update on him. We're going to talk NFL. The playoff schedule is arrived with some a little bit of controversies now with the uh, Bills and Bengals game. We're going to talk fantasy football with our fantasy football commissioner. Yes, sir. Um, so that's all coming up after the break here on Down the Line.
What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down on the Line. Once again, this is episode 83. We're kicking off the second half of the show here today. I am joined, as always, by Brevin Honda. We're also joined by Daniel Guerrero. He covers the St. Louis Cardinals, the minor league system, and just about everything in between for that franchise. And uh, we already talked a lot of baseball. We've gone to the recent news of the week. And now we're going to get into some NFL and a big theme of last week's show uh, was the DeMar Hamlin situation where he uh, collapsed on the field during that Monday night football game just after the new year. Um, since we kind of talked about him last week, we received a lot more positive news since. So that's great. And let's get right into it. Uh, so basically where we left off last Friday, the doctors were able to remove the breathing tube and Hamlin FaceTime his team for the first time since the injury. And, you know, it's got to be great for that team, you know, kind of feeling a sense of, I guess, relief, you know, especially since, you know, they kind of went into that week feeling some uncertainty related to their player, the brother, and they weren't necessarily sure what was going to happen, but, um, being able to FaceTime in with the team going into their weekend game surely brought them a lot more confidence, you know, and just, you know, like I said, relief, you know, just in itself. And so for him to be able to do that was great. Uh, according to the doctors on Monday, on Friday, he was able to walk around the hospital for the first time uh, since he collapsed on the field. So that was great as well on uh Saturday, I believe he was placed on injured reserve by the Bills. And when that happens to a player, typically the team pays him less as a result of landing on IR. But the Bills and the NFL Players Association were able to work out an agreement to pay him fully, despite not being on the active roster. So um, really good sign of respect there by the Bills and the Players Association to work out a deal to um, kind of help him out through these unprecedented circumstances. And then on Sunday, we all saw what happened, but he was watching it from his hotel room or his hospital room, I should say as well. And according to the doctors, after Naheem Hines took the opening kickoff back for a touchdown, he was jumping up and down when that happened to Mar Hamlin was. And I, I think I saw something on Twitter also. He set off all the alarms in the ICU when that happened. And of course, when that happens, you know, doctors are kind of rushing to see what happened, but just a moment of excitement for him to kind of see that. And I think, you know, that's just something that you can only think or kind of dream about, you know, it's kind of a storybook kind of result to start that game. I mean, DG, we'll start with you. What'd you think of that moment? It's one of those things that you see in movies that you're like, well, it's never happened in real life. Yeah. And it does. Um, so obviously it's great to see. It's great to hear uh, and see the updates with Mar Hamlin and his health. I mean, obviously that was mm-hmm. a scary moment um, for everyone, no matter where you were at or what you're doing or um, you stopped and paid attention to what was going on. I mean, it was, yeah. kind of, it was a surreal moment, at least for me of like, we see these guys crash into each other on a weekly basis. Um, and there's this big, you know, obviously DeMar um, takes this hit and, you know, is really, you know, in a sense, that was fighting for his life at, at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great to see. And then obviously Naeem Hines returning that kick, returns a second kick for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, 
it's great. It's great to see. It's one of those, uh, um, man, I, I guess when you look at storyline things and kind of, uh, uh, how teams like emote or emotionally entering the playoffs, this is one of those things where you look at it. It's like, man, this like could be that add to that special moment of the bills finally winning a super bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we've seen in the past with teams who are on magical runs or have things outside of the sport that, you know, in a way play an influence in DeMar Hamlin um, and his, his recovery and how he's doing. Obviously it's, it's great to see all around. Um, I'm excited to see how the bills are going to perform in the playoffs now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're definitely going to be playing for him, but Revan, I mean, just what a moment, right? I mean, we were all watching it, you know, and that, that kick going back for the touchdown and just the excitement you hear from DeMar Hamlin. I mean, how much momentum, I guess, does that kind of give the Bills heading into the playoff, knowing that their teammate is doing much better now and also, you know, they were able to cap off the season with a huge win? Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, you think about – when we think about opening kickoff, most of the time, all right, they're going to stop. They're going to get stopped probably around the 20, 25 yard line. Yeah. And then we, as that plays going, Naeem Hines stays on his feet. And then we see him get to the 40, and then the 50. And you see him get loose. And no one, the only players that are around him are his teammates blocking. And then mm-hmm. you see him run to the end zone. But then to see him then do that a second time tells you that something yeah it was just crazy to see crazy to go, see on twitter the video and then to see all the reactions you know with um damar hamlin it was just one of those things that it was just kind of meant to be um knowing all the support that people were giving not just to not just the bills but to the other teams across the country were giving for damar hamlin yeah, just knowing the uncertainty of what was going to happen in terms of his health, um, but to hear the positive news of him getting better and then also seeing that, I mean, it's just good vibes, I think, for everyone all around, uh, being able to see that and witness that and also hear about, you know, the joy that Hamlin kind of experienced as a result of that, too. So that was great to see. And then a couple more updates on DeMar Hamlin that happened this week. He was released from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center on Monday. He was then moved to Buffalo General Hospital. And then on Wednesday, he was released from Buffalo General Hospital. He completed all of his tests and he continues his road to recovery here. I mean, just a great thing to see. I mean, he wasn't even in the hospital for a week and a half. And um, to see him already get released, I mean, that I think this is for sure the best possible scenario that could have you know, arose as a result of what we all saw, you know, just the the feelings that we all experienced, you know, when he was down on the field. I mean, we didn't know what was going to happen, but to see him, you know, come back from this and I, I think come back stronger is just, it, it was great to see. I mean, that's, that's all we wanted. And, you know, just the thoughts and prayers and the good vibes that everyone was sending his way, you know, it, it all, it all worked out for the better, I think. Definitely. All right, we're going to come back to the Bills um, in terms of playoffs in a sec, but um, there's been some head coaching vacancies that were announced. That include Lovey Smith and the Houston Texans. The Lovey Smith led the Texans to a 313-1 record, <laughs> including losing the number one draft pick on Sunday with a win. 
um, taking down the Indianapolis Colts. So with that, the uh, Bears get the number one pick. Uh, something that we possibly talked about last week and something that happened within this past week was Cliff Kingsbury from the Arizona Cardinals getting uh, like getting let go as well. Kingsbury led the Arizona Cardinals to a 4-13 and 13 record despite having one of the top wide receivers in the game in DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I think <laughs> when you think about Lovey Smith getting fired. I think it wasn't because of the season they had. I have just this feeling it's because they won that last game for sure. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, when you look at that roster, they don't really have anyone. And I mean, what do you expect a head coach to do in that situation? You don't expect him to, you know, make the playoffs, but they end up winning the last game when it actually, you know, matters to the front office and the organization. And, of course, your goal as head coach is to win every game you you step on that field. I mean, no doubt about it. And when you're able to do that, it's a big deal. But it costs your team, you know, a spot in the draft. And I feel like that's the complete reason why he was fired. I mean, I think any other outcome, which would have been you know, the Texans losing, he's still the head coach today. I just have that feeling. I don't know why. But, I mean, there's that's just what I believe. And then... Cliff Kingsbury, yeah, I think we all saw this coming. The in-season hard knocks yeah. kind of showcased the struggles of that organization. And I think he's a good play caller, but I don't know if he's necessarily ready to lead an NFL team right now, as we saw. I mean, they struggled a lot. They had some really high expectations, the Cardinals did. But it just never really worked out. And, of course, they suffered injuries all throughout. <laughs> Kyler Murray mm-hmm. being the number one. Um, kind of uh, result of injury this season. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was a tough go for Cliff Kingsbury. I, I think he is going to end up being an offensive coordinator for a team. I don't know where that's going to be, but I, I think he's going to end up in a good role, I think, this offseason, and he's going to lead a team in a different capacity. I just don't know about Lovie Smith, you know, if he's going to able if he's going to be able to get an opportunity elsewhere. Um, we're going to see about that, but yeah, the, the head coach search is on for a lot of teams right now in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I think it's another one of those aspects in addition to, you know, where a quarterback's going to end up, you know, not only in the draft, but, you know, Derek Carr, for example, you know, who's going to trade for him? Who's going to want to take on that contract? So it's pretty much all the same. And you don't know where these head coaches are going to end up. But DG, I'll, I'll ask you, I mean, what, what do you think about Lovey Smith and, and Cliff Kingsbury kind of getting fired after the season. I think you make a really good you made a really good point there with the mentality is to win every week, right? I mean, no matter yeah. where you're at in the standings, guys are always going to compete. Um, it's obviously an unfortunate situation for Lovey Smith <laughs> to be out of a job at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I understand. I mean, I think as fan, like when you're a fan. And you see the opportunity, like all they have to do is literally, they, all they have to do is do what they did all season. They have to lose yeah. to get a number one pick. Yeah. I mean, just to secure that. But you got to remember that um, I can't really name anybody on the Texans roster right now. But uh, for Brand- Brandon, yeah. I don't know if Brandon Cooks was playing or if he was yeah, playing or not. Yeah, he was playing. But, like, you're, yeah. not, but you're not going to tell. Playing. Brandon, you're not going to tell Brandon Cooks like, "Hey, don't play good today. We're trying to get a number one pick." Yeah, drop guys who are <laughs> yeah, guys who are in in walk years in their contract or guys who um, are kind of scraping by in the league. Which I haven't looked at the Texans roster, but when you're a three win team, you're kind of in that. I guess 
mode for a lot of guys of kind of trying to just sort of like float in the league, right? Yeah. Um, kind of hard to to convince those guys to lose so we can get a better spot to draft the replacements. Um and yeah, it's an, it's unfortunate, uh, obviously, for Levy Smith to be in that situation. But for sure, he, I mean, obviously, he's a veteran coach. He's a veteran coach. Um, has coached the team to a Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, with the Bears in 2006. I want to say. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, I'm pre- I, I guy with that much experience. You you figure that there's going to be some some interest from other teams to bring him in in, in a different role or yeah. some, or obviously in, in some capacity. Um, but the Cliff Kingsbury situation that that it just kind of it it just kind of blew up on them, man. I mean, when you look at what they did last year, I mean, they got into the playoffs as a wild card. Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, Kyler Murray wasn't healthy for part of last season, wasn't healthy for this part of this season. Um, obviously, got that huge contract. There's some internal controversy with uh, Kyler Murray's work ethic, and um, we saw in the preseason right where. Where Kyler Murray was was calling plays for a part of it, just because I don't really know why. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, yeah. Cliff, Kings, Cliff Kingsbury had <laughs> had had him do that for a reason. Um, but yeah, but when you see what what Cliff what Kingsbury I didn't I mean not did, but rather didn't do with right. with some of the the assets mm-hmm. and the players and the resources he had there. Um, yeah, yeah, you need to change at head coach. I mean. Um, you mm-hmm. have this quarterback who you use as, uh, use the first overall pick on, who you believe will be somebody special moving forward, and you need to you need to write you need somebody that's going to write that ship. Um, I know, yeah. Brevin, you mentioned that you know they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. They um, James Conner was a pretty serviceable player and uh, pretty talented player for them for for a little bit as well. Yeah. And, they had JJ Watt. I mean, they had some. They had some guys, some names on that team, and just really didn't do anything. Um, obviously, that's a tough division to win, uh, with the Niners still being kind of that top tier in the NFC and the NFC West. Um, same thing. Seahawks surprised a lot of people. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, the Rams had a bit a down year, but I mean, when you look at what they could be next year, I guess. Well, I guess that's kind of a question mark too of who returns yeah. and who, what happens there, but. But when you see what, yeah, when you see what the Cardinals didn't do under Cliff Kingsbury, um, it's very disappointing in in a way just because they had, you know, some big name players. They made some big moves and just nothing ever came to fruition. Wonder if Kingsbury is going to have to sell his house now. Oh, yeah, that's right, Hoff. I remember seeing that that draft (laughs) pick. Did you see that one? Yeah. 2020 draft. Yeah, exactly. Insanely, insanely. Expensive looking house, multi million dollar, yeah, property probably in Scottsdale, probably, yeah. But it, yeah, it, it's crazy to see you know what they didn't accomplish. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, four and thirteen just not good enough for the talent that was on that team. Um, but and enough talking about the teams that didn't make the playoffs. Let's talk about the teams that made it. And on Thursday, so. Pretty much, this is last Thursday, pretty much hours after we recorded our last show, the NFL said the Bills-Bengals game is a no contest. And we're going to talk about, you know, the fantasy implications of that, too. Um, We were going to get to that last week. But in terms of playoff scheduling, the NFL determined that the AFC Championship game could be played at a neutral site if the Bills are going to play the Chiefs since the Bills defeated the Chiefs earlier in the season. They would have been 
the top seed if they had beat the Bengals as well. So in the AFC from one to seven, it's Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Jacksonville. Those are your division winners. And then the wildcard games are the LA Chargers, Baltimore, and Miami. And then in the NFC, your division winners are Philadelphia, San Francisco, Minnesota, Tampa Bay. And then the wildcard teams are Dallas, New York, Giants, I should say, obviously, and then Seattle. So that all leads into Super Wildcard Weekend and the bye weeks. That's going to be Kansas City and Philadelphia. They're going to receive those. So they are not going to be playing this weekend. They're going to move into the divisional round. And Saturday, let's get into the games this weekend. It starts on Saturday. It's going to be at 1.30. Uh, tomorrow, we have the number seven seed Seahawks kind of kicking things off against the Niners. And this is a game in which the Niners are expected to win. I mean, they're playing at home. And, I mean, who who you guys got in this one? Oh, I have Go ahead, DZ. Who do you got here? Oh, mm-hmm. SF. I mean, you can't. I, I don't think yeah. you can really pick against the Niners in a lot of these matchups. Um, oh, yeah. Which is weird to say, given that they're on a third-string quarterback who has played well in his time uh, since Jimmy Garoppolo's injury. Has, and Brock yeah. Purdy has has done, a, has done a solid job of that. But, I mean, when you look at the other facets of the game on, on uh, the running game, the receiving core, um, their tight end play, I mean, and, and then what they do on defense, I mean, you you got to go with San Francisco here. Oh, yeah. Brevin, uh, the Niners are nine-and-a-half-point favorites here. I know we kind of look at that yep. out of intrigue and interest, typically. when It's we not even the biggest spread this for the wildcard slate. Yeah, it's not. But are you going to ride with that, or are you going to just take the Niners straight up? Um, I think I'd take the Niners nine-and-a-half here. Yeah. Um, You know, with, with the way their defense is set, you know, we know that. We know... Their offense, you got Christian McCaffrey, you've got, um, I haven't checked the injury reports. Possibly Debo Samuel could be there. You for sure have Brandon Ayuk, you know, in addition to George Kittle. So, you know, this is a solid team that's going into the playoffs that, you know, pretty much have all their positions ready to go. Yeah. Um, during the regular season, San Francisco took both matchups. They won it in Santa Clara back. They won at home in week two. They won on the road at Thursday night football in week 15 so i think this is will be a clean sweep 3-0 season um for the niners mm-hmm. yeah i think so too i think the niners are going to take this one nine and a half is a lot but i think they can definitely do it it's the niners they've been dominant the whole year but let's go on to the next game 515 on nbc on saturday this is the number five seeded chargers at the number four seeded Jags, Jacksonville Jaguars got in and the Chargers are favored in this game too, two and a half point favorites, but they will be without Mike Williams because Brand Staley decided to play him against the Broncos in a game that didn't matter. So <laughs> yeah. And the Stars so played that. three full quarters. Yeah. So I think the report is, unless the Chargers make a Super Bowl, Michael Williams is expected to be out for the postseason. So we'll see if they're able to make a run without him. But 
Yeah, this is going to be an interesting game here. I think Trevor Lawrence is playing his best football as of late. Mm-hmm. I think it is really going to be a close game. I think two and a half is pretty indicative of what we should expect. I'm kind of going to go with the upset here. I, I like Jacksonville. I like the way they've been playing. I like the way Lawrence has been slinging it. If they run the ball effectively with ETN, I think they're going to open up the passing game a lot. And it's just going to come down to who wins at the line of scrimmage because the Chargers do have a really solid defensive line, obviously. If the Jags can contain that for the most part, I think you know they're going to be able to set up some success, You know, run some play action, and it just comes down to the Jaguars' defense, you know, trying to wreak havoc on, on Herbert and make it uncomfortable. But I'm going to go with the upset. I got Jacksonville. DG, we'll start with you here as well. Yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't know who to take because I know Jacksonville did beat uh, the Sandy, I mean, L.A. Chargers at home. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know what, I'm gonna, I, I guess it might sound like a homery pick, but I guess I'll go with the Bolts. <laughs> um, I think, uh, yes, Mike Williams will be a big loss for them. Uh, I think that's where, uh, you know, there's somebody else on that offense will need to step up. But I, I think, yeah. I think defensively, I think they, if they can stop Travis Etienne and Jaguars run game, I think they'll be ultimately successful in that aspect. So, I mean, it kind of, uh, it's up to the linebacker play there. Yeah. Um, I think Joey Bosa, obviously on the defensive line will be huge and getting to Trevor Lawrence. Um, but I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of like Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler and, and, and kind of the Ken Allen trio of being able to, to get the job done without Mike Williams, uh, yeah. to get the Chargers to, to that divisional round. Robin, yeah, I think the key, mm-hmm, I think the key for this one's going to be the Chargers running game. Yeah. As we saw back in week three, when Jacksonville took down LA in SoFi Stadium, the leading rusher for that game was Sony Michelle. He had five carries for 22 yards. <laughs> and then Austin Eckler just had four carries for five yards. And so I think yeah. that'd be the key um, in this matchup, you know, on top of, you know, last week, as we saw technically on Amazon Prime for Thursday Night Football, we saw how much of a, of a fan base that Jacksonville has. And so that'll once again be put to the test here. Now, another primetime situation but in a playoff matchup that features two sophomore quarterbacks. Yeah, for sure. But I'm going to take the Jaguars as well here in this matchup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be a close game. So that'll be a good one, I think. I think that has the potential to be one of the better games this weekend. This next one we're going to talk about, our first game on Sunday is at 10 a.m. And it's in Orchard Park in Buffalo. And this is... Uh, this is going to be something, huh? It's uh, the 13-and-a-half-point favorites, Buffalo Bills, hosting the Tua Tagovailoa-less Miami Dolphins. Tua is still in concussion protocol. He has been in the protocol since December 26th. And Skylar Thompson, everyone's favorite quarterback, mm-hmm. get the start. So it's Skylar Thompson against Josh Allen. Um, yeah, I got the Bills. <laughs> DG. Uh I got Buffalo. I mean you can't. Yeah. No, I mean even I think even with two, I'd still take Buffalo. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Buffalo in Orchard Park. I I take them. Yeah, it's that's gonna be a tough environment. 
going going back and looking at this season matchups, you know, between these two teams, both competing in the AFC East, they kind of split it. It was one and one. And the first one went to Miami, and that was when the Dolphins got off that really hot start. They won 21 to 19 in Miami. Mm-hmm. Buffalo won in week 15. Miami, they uh, also had that butt punt too that week. Yeah. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. That was also the that was also the week where really Tua's uh, concussion issues started. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, yeah, I mean, they've, they've played competitive games. I just don't think this one is going to be competitive at all. I agree. I agree. Yeah, Brevin, uh, you, you think the same as us, or are you going to go against us here? I'm going to agree with you guys here. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it with Mar Hamlin, you know, and the inspiration that that has on not just the team, but then the fan base as well. True. You know, it's not just going to be the 12th man on the field, but it's going to be close to like 20 guys on the field. Yeah. Or the way that, that those Bill fans are going to be, especially for, you know, we've so talked loud. about it in the past few weeks, you know, what they've been through. You know, we think about the the fans digging out the, the snow to get the players to Detroit earlier in the year. We think about, um, you know, just the motivation that they have, you know, wanting to see this Bills team be competitive, you know, yeah. and so this is the first test of a hopefully a long road that lasts another month for this Bills team. Yeah, Skylar Thompson, yeah, that's just not it at quarterback either. I think we can all agree mm-hmm. on that. So, yeah, we all got the Bills. We sing it in unison there, but our next game, it should be a good one. I don't really know what to expect here. It's the New York Giants at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are three-point favorites being at home, and that's going to be at 130 on Fox. So I'll, I'll start here. I got the Vikings. I think the Vikings come out on top. I think it will be really close. I think that three points could play out, you know, that, that three-point kind of spread. But I like this Vikings offense. Now, this is not Kirk Cousins playing a 10 a.m. game. You should also remember that because that's when he always is at his best, of course. But I think they're going to do enough to win. I don't know if Dalvin Cook is playing. I know last week he he was banged up. But either way, Alexander Madison, he is going to fill in there if he needs to. And he always runs hard. And I just like the way this offense has been working. I think Kevin O'Connell is setting them up for success, and they're tough to stop. I think this Giants team has kind of been an unexpected storyline this season. No one thought they would be in the playoffs, especially with a first-year head coach. But I don't know. I I like the way this Vikings offense operates, and they got to feed Justin Jefferson, and we might see a gritty or two in this game. So I got the Vikings. Brevin, we'll, we'll go to you next. Yeah, I'm going to take the Vikings here, too. Um, you know, I think in that matchup that we saw at Christmas Eve against these two teams, the Vikings could have played a lot better. And mm-hmm. obviously that, that one ended with Greg Joseph hitting that 61-yard game winner. But yeah, there are opportunities for that Vikings team to win by a lot more than just three points, whether it was offensively, whether it was defensively, and this is a time where you really can't give up those mistakes because, you know, this is the playoffs and it's either win or go home. And, you know, this is a Vikings team that, you know, has really 
surprised a lot of people, including in the NFC North, when you know we thought it was just Aaron Rodgers' division and that was it. And you know now we're at the point where there's a Vikings team that has 13 wins um, under their belt and looking to yeah make it a strong run here in the playoffs. So I'm going to take the Vikings here. DG, who you got? I don't like either of the quarter. I mean, not okay. That, that sounds kind of harsh, but like I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of, of of Kirk Cousins or Daniel Jones. And I, I mean, and yeah. I understand how they're, um, yeah, how they both had found, um, been able to to quarterback, you know, playoff and division winning teams. Um, I I do think that it'll come down to who plays more consistently between them two. Um, I. Feel like I mean, with obviously the Giants have Saquon Barkley, and I just don't know how much more they can lean on him in in a game like this. Just because uh, outside of him, I'm not really too familiar with their other weapons, but I assume he's kind of like their only guy. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, when you look at Kirk Cousins and what he's been able to do in the ten o'clock window or one o'clock window, I guess if you're on East Coast, um, I think this will be a big. Uh, I think Justin Jefferson will have a big game. Uh, obviously, Adam Thielen has kind of complimented him as well in, during certain parts of the season. But, yeah, but yeah I mean, I, I kind of like the Vikings at home. Um, and just obviously a little bit more comfortability there. Uh, Justin Jefferson, obviously, will be, I think, the, the, the X factor in this game. Just seeing what he he's able to do. I mean, he was silenced what, in that, that week uh, 17 game against Green Bay, and we kind of saw how – the 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 Vikings offense kind of operated against Green Bay, so I mean it'll be big for him to get back to to yeah. being that caliber player uh, that he is. So yeah, I, I guess I'll go with Minnesota. Yeah, one player on Minnesota I really like too is T.J. Hawkinson. He's been really good mm-hmm. for them yep. since he was traded there. But let's move on to the nightcap here. It's the number six seed Ravens of the AFC at the number three Bengals. And this is another game with a higher spread. The Bengals are favored by eight and a half. That's because Lamar Jackson is out. So we're going to see Tyler Huntley, I think. And yeah, I'm going to take the Bengals. I like the way Joe Burrow has been slinging it. He doesn't turn it over. He pretty much finds everyone within that offense. And there's a lot of weapons there too. So yeah, I'm going to take the Bengals here. DG, who you got? Yeah, I think without Lamar Jackson, the the Ravens, are still a, a, a good team. I just don't yeah. think... I mean, I, I think without Lamar Jackson, they're a good team when they play the likes of, uh, you know, Cleveland and uh, the the kind of the non-playoff contending teams, I guess. That's the way to put it. But when now you're in the playoffs, you're playing against Cincinnati, yeah. who obviously beat you last week, who's coming into this game healthy with, with all their guys ready. Uh, Jamar Chase obviously was out for a little bit during the season and comes back the right time for him and for, for the Bengals uh, Bengals are playing at home. I, I think you just got to go with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'd lean the Bengals. I don't know if I take the eight and a half though, just because yeah. you've seen Baltimore being so many of these close games, you know, you even saw it. Um, I think it was last week against Pittsburgh. You know, that was even a close game as well, but yeah. I mean, it's hard to go up against, you know, that that trio of receivers with Boyd, Higgins, and Jamar Chase on top of the passing volume that Joe Mixon has had this entire year, Mm -hmm. you know, with the way Joe Burrow's 
sling the football the you know you know every single game and so I'm gonna take the Bengals here um in this matchup so that means we're got all five home teams so far yeah yeah home teams are big but this next one will be interesting it's the Cowboys at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here on Monday Night Football the Cowboys are two and a half point favorites and this is the one home team that I'm going to pick against here. I'm taking the Cowboys as much as Stephen A wouldn't like to hear that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm taking the Cowboys. I think they kind of figure it out. Dak Prescott's been turning it over a lot, but it comes down to running the football with your two running backs. And I think if you're able to do that effectively, you can run some play action and, whether it's Dalton Schultz or CD Lamb, you guys, you got to get these guys running, you know, crossing routes across the middle or even up the middle too. I think that's where Dak Prescott has had some, you know, positive outcomes, you know, when, when he's been throwing the ball out of play action. So yeah, I'll take the Cowboys here. And my theory of Tom Brady going to Las Vegas will pick up some steam after the Buccaneers lose this game. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, DG, do you think the Buccaneers surprise everyone and, and they beat the Cowboys? I mean, I feel like there's got to be one upset during this playoff. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, an upset or, you know, an away team, you know, stealing a road game. I just don't know if the Buccaneers are that team. Yeah. Um, obviously we'll see what playoff, uh, Yes, Buell, Tom Brady still has left in the tank. I mean, playoff mm-hmm. Lenny might come back with Leonard Fournette. Playoff you know? Lenny, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I know uh, a lot of people doubt the Cowboys. I, I am also kind of a skeptic of them being, uh, you know, one of the top contending teams. I think they're a good team, obviously a playoff caliber team. Um, but I guess I'll go with the upset here. I mean, I, I'll go with Tom Brady. I think when you kind of look mm. at, obviously, like past storylines, I think uh, – a win and then a loss in the next round in the division round kind of adds that fuel of like, okay, he still has some left and then he signs with yeah. Vegas. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'll go with I'll go with the Bucks on this one. Yeah. Sorry, Cowboy fans and Cowboy Nation or whatever. <laughs> uh Brevin, do you think Tom Brady makes a playoff run? You know, this isn't you know like a Bucks team that we saw a couple of years ago because of the offensive line changes this year, but true. I the momentum I think swings towards the Bucks, not just because of um you know, not just because of Tom Brady, you know, but you think about week eighteen and what that saw. You saw the Bucks take down um their division foes in the Carolina Panthers with Mike Evans getting three touchdowns. And yeah, then on the flip right. side, you saw the Cowboys in their division matchup lose to the commanders was it 26 to six? I think it was where mm-hmm. Jack Prescott threw two interceptions, I think it was, you know, including a pick six. Could have been three, but you know, it just, <laughs> I think the momentum, you know, goes in favor of Tampa Bay. I think, but you know, I think the turnover margin is going to just be the key thing in this one. And if Jack Prescott doesn't throw any interceptions, you know, and we know how good this secondary history Tampa Bay led by Devin White. 
you know, then the then the Bucks are going to win this game because of those turnovers. Ultimately, though, I really don't know how this one's going to turn out on yeah. Monday night. I mean, we saw Tom Brady earlier in the year on Monday night against uh, the Saints, you know, on that same oh, field, yeah. you know, oh, being able yeah. to come back from two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, I think I'd ultimately lean toward the Buccaneers. You know, this was a Bucs team that defeated the Cowboys on the on the Sunday night opener earlier in the year and yeah. limited the Cowboys to three points, so... And that was in Dallas, and as long as that connection's there between Brady and Evans, as we saw last week, or it's Brady or Godwin, it'd be no match for the Cowboys. So I'm going to take yeah. the Bucks here. That's true. So that is Super Wild Card Weekend. Those are our picks. Let's wrap up our show by talking. Our fantasy league and our valued commissioner is with us, Daniel Guerrero, uh-huh. the man himself. What what a year it was! What a year it was, and what a respectful ending to the year. We did not have one champion. We had co-champions, and Jack Mulmud and Brandon Freed have each decided to split the winnings and be co-champs. Uh, I know that last week we were recording, and Jack was like. Okay, wh- what if uh, Josh Allen breaks a toe during week 18 or something? He's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, we never know what was going to happen. But, no, it's a very respectable decision by the, our two finalists. It was. Um, I think uh, it was a very, yeah. It. I know from friends and family and other leagues and in another league of that I'm in, I'm only in two. So the other one that I was in with my cousins, there was a little bit of, of a debate of how we decide the championship game. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I felt like the Jack and Brandon one, Brandon right away was like, I mean, yeah, Josh Allen, he only needed five points. Like you were going to, yeah. Um, but Jack being very uh, courteous and respect, uh, the respectful person he is said, he's like, well, we never know what could have happened. He could have, like I said, he, he could have broke his toe on the next play. I mean, we don't know. Um, so I mean, for them to split the to split the winnings to uh, share the title of champions was very uh, was was a very nice move. Um, yeah. So I mean, I felt like we had a good season uh, this year, uh, but just overall, it was nice to keep it going. I think um, there were some things that we learned and uh, probably wish we would have uh, corrected some mistakes that we made, but. Overall, I felt like it was a good year. It was another competitive year in our league. There wasn't many teams who, uh, you know, who, who whose teams kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, overall, another great year when the DA got that dope league. Yes, yes. Mm. We are continuing the tradition uh, with or without Aaron Tolentino. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, doing things differently. I, I know Brevin wanted to see more trades go down. <laughs> he he was the yeah. one that made I think the only trade in the league, but yes. it, it was a good one too. But yeah, no, uh, Jack being the respectful man he is, yeah, you said it perfectly, DG. Mm-hmm. I'm in an, I'm in another league with him and his fiance actually, Alex Bisantelli, yep. and she won that league. And you know oh, she wow. was she was talking about how uh, 
Well, firstly, I, I will say her, her teammate was Russell Wilson Stan. So to see her win that <laughs> league was pretty interesting. But yeah. um, are you a supporter you know, of that team then, Kyle? Yeah, not for not for the final, not for the final just because <laughs> of her name. But no, I, I was happy she won because uh, she said, you know, the winnings are going towards uh, her wedding uh, and Jack. Oh, that's nice. Her wedding with Jack. So yeah, I'm sure good. you know the, the winnings that Jack is going to get from this league are are going to go towards that as well. So yeah, that that was great to see. Um, but yeah, let's get into our thoughts on the season. Uh, I'll start with myself. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was it was a good and bad year. I had I was off to a rough start and then caught some momentum and then I I lost by point zero one to Jack one week and that, that pretty was much tough, dude. Because of a kneel down. Yeah, and that that was the worst. That was that's probably one of the worst losses I've ever seen. Yeah, that was that me. was bad. I'll never forget that. And I think because of that, I would have if I won that game. If I won that yeah. matchup, I would have had a bye. So, yeah, that was definitely yeah. tough. Um, but I think also, too, it was interesting to see Jason Freund pretty much auto-draft more than half of his team and <laughs> and have the best record in the league. So that was fun to see, too. But That was pretty crazy. Yeah, no, I my team was good, just underperformed when it counted. And that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes, but it was a great year. I enjoyed it as always. Uh, Revan, what did you think about your year? Yeah, it started off the way I projected, you know, to go four and oh, but then, then lose six of the next seven, you know, yeah, we had, wasn't, like, polar opposites. Yeah. Uh-huh. It wasn't what I expected. So that's why then I decided to make the move after the week six matchup against Devin to go get <laughs> AJ Brown for Raheem Mostert. Michael Carter and Gabe Davis. So, yeah, that's a good um, to, you know, I figured stack Jalen Hurts with AJ Brown um, and, you know, try and get some, get some more volume that way. But um, it was nice to make the playoffs. It felt like, you know, felt like one of those teams in the NFL that we see have a losing record, but still make the playoffs. And you're thankful that you make the playoffs, but, you're in another way you're not thankful that uh, the way you finished was six you're under 500 but <laughs> i'm thankful for uh continuing that playoff record or that streak of making the playoffs but yeah um i think this year what showed a lot just not just with my team but a lot of teams is how much the wide receiver um aspect of fantasy football um rose this year compared to the running backs yeah, you know, we're seeing true not not just at the top, but even throughout. You know, as we get lower in the scoring leaders, you know, with the volume of points at the wide receiver position compared to the running back position. Yeah, that's so true. When you think about that, um, DG. Before we get to the thoughts on your season, do you think we should have had a last place punishment in which Luis uh, Luis would have been punished? <laughs> we should have had him do the McDonald's mile or something. I don't know. Which one's that one? It's it's like you run four laps around a track and like after mile one, like you have like I a think, McNug- I think yeah, you, you I, have to you have to eat a Big Mac. Mile two, you have to eat uh, McNuggets. Mile three, you have to drink a like Dr Pepper or something. And then 
I don't even know what mile four is, but it's, you got to eat something else after that. It actually sounds kind of cool. <laughs> I, I think I saw that with Wendy's. Somebody yeah, or four Wendy's four. or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. There, there's got to be. There's something that we could probably come up with. I mean, yeah. being that we're scattered across the country now. Luis um, Lopez getting in the last place. But yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll, brainstorm, we'll we'll uh at the next owners meeting we'll we'll brainstorm for a 2023 punishment. Yeah, write an, write an essay for getting last. Since we're all yeah. in some sort of media aspect of journalism, we can record it and then it'll somehow go viral on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, DG, yeah. uh, final thoughts on the year, and uh, will you be returning? And an early yeah. prediction for next season: Will you be returning as commissioner? Uh, probably, I guess. I mean, where do you have... Okay, well, well I, I guess if we keep... Well, I mean, I guess no. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. Um, Just because the league's already set up here, we'll just refresh it, add teams yeah. if we need to, or change owners if we need to. Um, But I was looking over the final standings and the, the breakdown of the points. Did you know that I was... I was the team that was most scored on throughout the year? Oh, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was in the playoff race. I, I was going to sell. I, I was going to be a seller at the deadline. <laughs> and then I forgot who we beat. And I'm like, you know what? Like, if I go three and four in the next four to end the season, I think that's what it was. Yeah, like, you're I would, in. Like, I would have snuck in. Um, obviously, that did not work. My team did not uh, come out playing on, on a week, uh, whatever the last week was, week 13 or 14, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, missed the playoffs. And uh, yeah, I think it was just some bad luck for me this year. I probably yeah. Jonathan Taylor, so that was a bust. Oh, yeah. Um, I I had very high hopes for him. Um, the rest of my team, I had Cortland Sutton. Looking at my my week one oh. roster, at Cortland Sutton. Oh, that did not work out. David Montgomery did not work out. I had Michael oh. Thomas. Remember him? Michael Thomas. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> but but I mean I had some guys, some sleepers break out for me. Jamal Williams being the oh yeah the, the main one. Uh, Dallas Goddard had a good year until he got injured. And uh, yeah, I mean it felt like it was a good year. It felt like overall, um, there's still some something left to be said for my team in this league. I haven't had the best success. Uh, and the DA got that dope league since yeah. he created it. Uh, I think I need to take drafting seriously. I know I drafted on vibe. Well, I mean, look, I drafted based off of vibes for this last season, and I got Jamal <laughs> Williams because he was the star of of Hard Knocks. Um, yeah, yeah, also, yeah. But yeah, but then I also drafted like Rashad. Well, I mean, Rashad Penny was good until he got hurt. He was. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think we just got bit by the injury bug. Uh, just had some bad luck with our first overall pick. Uh, a little bit of inconsistent quarterback play with Joe Burrow to start the year before he was yeah. corrected. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, you know, there's still, still, uh, some to be seen from, from my guys and we need to, uh, take this off season, uh, just talk it over <laughs> to the front office, see what we need to do, uh, to build better for next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next, next year, hopefully it's better for all of us for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> DG's probably best pick, uh, was probably Tyree kill. No, oh, that was a good uh, pick, dude. He had a great mm-hmm. year. Yes. Daniel took Terry killed 20th overall, the ninth receiver. 20th? Uh, taken. Overall. Yeah. And Terry Kill finishes wide receiver two. Yeah. That's crazy. 20th mm-hmm. overall is wild. Yeah. He's probably going to be top 
three wide receiver pick next year. When you think about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great year, and that wraps it up. There, there is fantasy, and now all we have is uh, the playoffs left, so that should be fun. And then the off season is always long, and so I'm looking forward to our. Yeah, this will be a long year. eight months. Yeah, we're gonna be talking early next year, next season too. So it should be a good one. But mm-hmm. all right, that'll wrap up our episode number. What is this? 83 that's 83. crazy we've already got to 83 so um thanks dg for joining us the one and only daniel guerrero his twitter is at the dan guerrero be sure to follow him and support his cardinals coverage i love reading your stuff dg i love mm-hmm. seeing what everyone's saying about the cardinals because it, it's going to be an interesting season like you said they didn't make too many moves and i'm looking forward to see if if they can make another playoff push here again this next season. So it should be fun for you for sure. But uh, any last words from you? Oh, no. Well, thank you guys. Thank you guys for reading and supporting. Um, always happy to to support you guys as well. Happy to Dude, always yeah. join this podcast. Um, but yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, letting me hop on and talk some sports with you guys. Um, you know, hopefully uh, people uh, continue to, to support this. I mean, I have to take a moment to, to, uh, give you guys your respect for I me mean, 83 episodes it's a lot dude um yeah. you guys keep it up and uh, uh keep this going I mean, it's a really good good podcast to listen to yeah appreciate it appreciate it and always always a good time having you on too so oh yeah um always a pleasure but we'll be back next week we are going to talk some more nfl or if any more mlb news comes out we'll touch on that a little bit crazy to think you know march madness is coming up here you know a little shortly too so uh the conclusion of college football season always kind of leads to that so uh we'll begin to that in the upcoming weeks too but for brahman honda i am kyle betts signing off here 83rd episode of down the line we'll see you next week